The following episode of Two True Freaks is brought to you by our mysterious benefactor, Rich, Rich Powers. Yes, Rich Powers. To say his name is powerful is both redundant and accurate. A hero, a good Samaritan, and a man with a name that says, I have enough money to buy your soul and the strength to crush to it, in, crush my it hand. in my hand. But he wouldn't, because he's obviously a very nice person. Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday. This is Star Trek Monthly Monday number 27th that you should be listening to any time after February 14th because that's when it comes out. I am here with Scott Gardner and he will be, we'll both be, but we'll, you know, Scott Gardner's the, the critical nose of the two of us. We'll be putting um, two Star Trek TV shows and a Star Trek comic under uh, Scott Gardner's nose and see if they pass the uh, the sniff test of favorable or foul. P U P U sir. I feel like my nose has been rubbed in Star Trek this week because I gotta be honest with you. I you know I'm not all that. It, it, you know, it, it, it's not like it's shit, but it, it's there, for the most part. I feel like all three of the primary things we're gonna discuss are kind of like a steaming pile of meh. Dumb. Yeah. But, oh meh. Oh okay. But but but, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes along. <laughs> but before we get into that, I actually have. Did you introduce yourself, by the way? I'm Chris Honeywell, but they all know awesome. that. They recognize my dulcet tones, even though I'm sitting here chewing <laughs> on some venison jerky <laughs> you're like that guy talks like he's got a mouthful of marble no it's Bambi at this moment oh you bastard 
<laughs> Before we get into uh, the normal stuff, though, I want to once again, he's probably going to get tired of hearing about this eventually, but again, I want to thank uh, listener Alan Leach Jr., because a while ago he sent me a big mm. old box of awesome, had so much cool stuff in it, and a couple of the awesome things that were in there were a couple of, get this, Chris, cassette tapes. Do you remember cassette tapes? Oh, yeah. I've got boxes and boxes of them. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, the cassette tapes were audiobooks, and it was the audiobooks to the two A.C. Crispin Star Trek novels. One of them, I could be wrong, but I think was the very first Star Trek book I ever read. I think. I could be wrong about that. But anyway, what we've got here is... Um, the first one is called Yesterday's Sun, and it was written by A.C. Crispin. And the reading in these, um, they're read by Leonard Nimoy and Jimmy Doohan. Jimmy Doohan does the the bulk of the reading in these. And Spock, uh, excuse me, Nimoy just does, he comes in in like chapter breaks and does a little bit of Spock monologue, basically. And Yesterday's Sun, oh my God, is it an awesome book. And uh, I was looking at something today, I think it was Memory Alpha or something like that, and found an uh, interesting little trivia bit, which was, uh, according to them anyway, this was the first non-movie adaptation novel of Star Trek that actually was on the New York Times bestseller list. And I thought that was an interesting little tidbit, and deservedly so, because this is a great book. You remember the episode, and I don't think we've covered it yet on Star Trek Monthly Monday, but there was that episode called All Our Yesterdays, where Kirk, Spock, and McCoy go back to some planets, it's like Serpidian or something like that. They go back to their past through the the Mr. Atos mm -hmm. jump through time thingy. Mm -hmm. And and Spock and McCoy wind up in like the like the ancient ice age of the planet kind of thing. And Spock falls in love with, uh, what was her name? Marriott Baxter or whatever? Marriott Baxter Burney. Bur yeah, I think that's her name. But she was probably Baxter at that time. Baxter, I think it was Baxter back then. And, uh, you know, they get it on and everything because Spock's like regressing. Anyway, what this book is about is, um, Spock finds out through. I forget exactly how it happens now. It's like it's one of the like the Enterprise historians is looking at some old history tapes or something from that planet. And through the course of the story, it comes out that Spock figures out that he has a son that uh, that woman that Zarabeth bore, you know, of his. So he goes back in time to basically rescue this son of his out of the ancient past of this planet. And it's just, it's a really, really good book. It was, it was really powerful because the kid, although he's, you know, half Vulcan and everything, he's Spock's son, you know, he was raised by this woman pretty much alone. So he's, you know, been brought up by her. So he knows nothing of like Vulcan ways and emotional suppression or anything like that. Plus he's been living basically like a caveman. The barbarian. You know? Barbarian, yeah, thousands of years in this planet's past in its ice age, and now he's suddenly thrust into you know Kirk and Spock's time and has to deal with finding his father, and him turning out to be basically be a vast disappointment to him. You know, Spock gives the kid the cold shoulder, doesn't approve of him because he's so unVulcan, 
And so, you know, that that's mostly what the book deals with. And it was just, it's really powerful. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, now, I had, like I say, I had read this a long time ago, but I mean, I was literally a kid in high right, school right. when I read I this remember. You know, well over 20 years ago. Um, so it brought a lot of it back to me. Um, the, the audiobook is an abridgment, but I really enjoyed it. You know, it was really, it was a nice walk down memory lane because I remember this being one of my favorite Star Trek books when I read it. And uh, I can easily see why. It has so many classic elements. The, the interplay between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy feels completely natural. It's a nice sequel to an episode that I always got kind of a kick out of. Czar, um, Spock's son, great character. Um, spoiler, they use the Guardian of Forever, which I'm always a sucker for stories that use the uh -huh. Guardian of Forever. You know, it uses time travel. And then it has a bittersweet ending, which... Um, I don't want to give away. However, again, spoiler warning, I have to give a bit of it away in order to talk about the next book, which was the sequel. It was called Time for Yesterday, also written by A.C. Crispin. And it's a sequel to Yesterday's Son. And in this one, I don't want to reveal too much about it because, again, I, I think people should check these out. But the, the short story with that one is, again, for a reason that I found kind of hokey, Spock has to get in touch with Czar again. And I, I'm going to kind of leave it there because I, I don't want to spoil too much of it. Um, I, I feel just simply by, by saying anything more, it's, it's going to take away too much of the way that Yesterday's Son ends. I didn't like the sequel quite as much, but... It was still a really good book. It's a really good read. I, my my major problem with the second book, none of it has to do with Czar, because he's still a great character. I, I like the new dynamic between him and Spock. Gosh, it's one of those things where I'm torn between how much should I reveal about it and how much I shouldn't. Right. Because it, it involves time travel again, which is really interesting. And this time, Czar is actually physically older than his father, than Spock. And so it creates a really interesting dynamic between these two characters. Hope I didn't spoil too much with that. Well, thanks. I was going to uh, read those books. <laughs> it's funny. you found, When I came down to visit you, uh, you found the sequel. And... Uh, yeah, and I got it at that. At, uh, it was at that flea market, wasn't it? Market, yeah. And yeah, uh, it and was. I was like, "Well, shit, this is cool. I got this, but I don't have yesterday's sun." But when I came home, come to find out, I do have yesterday's sun. So there I you go. I highly recommend reading them. They're they're both really good, really good books. Um, I'd be very interested to hear your assessment on both books, especially the second one, because my my beef with the second one simply involves the. The dynamic, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit harsh. I'm gonna say the MacGuffin of of why Spock needs Czar again. Why why they need to employ uh, his, his uh, you know services again? Because that part of it that was the part of the story I found extremely weak. I felt that it, it really came off as I, I felt like the writer was kind of reaching, you know, kind of stretching for a, a legitimizing reason for why. Spock would interfere with history again, why he would seek Czar out and everything. But that said, you know, it's not that it was a bad book or anything. I really enjoyed it a lot, just not quite as much as the uh, as the first one. But uh, yeah, definitely check him out. It's Yesterday's Sun and Time for Yesterday by A.C. Crispin. And uh, thanks again to uh, Alan Leach Jr. for all that awesome stuff he sent me. 
Uh, I really enjoyed uh, listening. Hey, and you know, he sent me some stuff too, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Which I got in person when I was there, and uh, <laughs> it was uh, um, well, it was mostly these big poster books called uh and there was a little note saying yeah I'd, these weren't really up my alley but i thought chris would like them and it was a uh, shit the dog <laughs> i just was thinking really that's what you th- think of when you think of chris honeywell shit the dog and that's what you think that i would want well you are absolutely correct <laughs> they are awesome and they are right up my alley um yeah awesome Thanks, man. And and another, uh, uh, just a random Stephen comic. And I've read Stephen comics before. They're always really funny. Random, very random comics. The shit the dogs are just, you know. So they're like newspaper strips, but they're just all focusing around a dog and the dog shitting. So how can you go wrong, you know? <laughs> it does actually sound like <laughs> and it's then a giant po- yeah, and then uh, and then giant yeah it folds out into a giant poster of a dog taking a shit, you know. So there you go. <laughs> I wish I had more poster room on my walls for gigundus posters. That's for sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't really have much else more here in this uh, little beginning segment. Nope, nope, me either. So you want to move right on into uh, what do we got yep. first? Well, classic well, be- Star Trek, right? Classic Star Trek, but before before we do that, we got a quick. We actually remember we were soliciting our listeners for <gasps> reviews of books. Did we We've get got one? a listener review for, from awesome. from uh, Luke Jacanetti. Yes, he has reviewed Star Trek Titan Taking Wing. So Ooh, that was and a good book. He, he, he recorded it and everything and just sent it to us so we could be lazy and just slap it in here. So uh, we'll listen <laughs> to that and then we'll lazy. move on to some Star Trek TV show. So without any further ado, ado <laughs> it's ado? Luke Giaconetti. Hey everyone, Luke Giaconetti, a.k.a. El Giacone here with a review of Star Trek Titan Taking Wing by Michael A. Martin and Andy Mangle. Now, Star Trek Titan, for those of you that don't know, is a series of Star Trek novels that takes place after Star Trek Nemesis and features uh, Will Riker as the captain of the USS Titan. If you remember in Star Trek Nemesis, at the wedding of Riker and Troy, Riker says that he is finally accepting a command, and that is the USS Titan, uh, which is a starship manned by the most biologically varied and culturally diverse crew in Starfleet history. Uh, Basically, after... I'm going to read this straight from the back. After a de- almost a decade of strife against such foes as the Borg, the Cardassians, the Klingons, and the, De- and the Dominion, the United Federation of Planets is at the dawn of a new era. Starfleet is renewing its mission of peaceful exploration, diplomacy, and expansion of knowledge. Among the starships spearheading that endeavor is the USS Titan. Uh, Taking Wing, this is the first book of this series, so it does spend a good amount of time setting up the uh, the basic premise, which is, that the Titan is a new ship. It's size-wise, it slots in between uh, Voyager and Enterprise. Um, you know, like I said, it has an extremely diverse crew. I think they say something like only 20% of the crew is human. There's a lot of varied alien species on there, and they get into that. And the basic setup of the story is that in the wake of Shinzon killing the entire Romulan Senate in Star Trek Nemesis, Basically, uh, Romulus has been kind of fallen into chaos, and there's a lot of different factions vying for power, and the Titan crew is 
uh, waylaid on their initial exploration mission to go help set up the power sharing negotiations on Romulus between the various factions, including um, the Praetor who has come into power after Shinzon and the Tal Shiar and the Remans and the Unificationists and you know all the different groups vying for power on on Romulus. And there's some intrigue because the Federation has an agent uh, who was undercover on Romulus when Shinzon killed the Senate. And, you know, he kind of has been lost and thrown into one of their prisons because, you know, they kind of round the, they were kind of, everybody's rounded up by the Tal Shiar and thrown into prison that they didn't know. And so he's, you know, part of their mission is to rescue him. And, of course, this connects back with Ambassador Spock's unification movement and uh, there's, there's a lot of continuity in here, but it's nothing that it's nothing so bad that you can't follow it. I mean, I've seen a good portion of Next Gen. I don't really think I've seen all of it. But if you've seen Star Trek Nemesis, then you'll understand this and follow this just fine. Um, as for the book itself, I like Martin and Mangle's style of writing. It's it's, cl- it's clear and concise, but more clear and concise than I'm being in this review. Um, you know, there, there's a good mix of characters. There's a lot of different characters. We meet a lot of new ones. There's some characters that are callbacks to minor characters from, um, you know, episodes of uh, Next Gen or Deep Space Nine. Uh, there's some um, interesting new species. Uh, Dr. Ree, who is the chief doctor, is a species that apparently resembles a slightly anthropomorphic velociraptor, and he's the chief surgeon. Uh, and we also get, like, the first Cardassian in Starfleet and, you know, things of that nature. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting mix. Uh... As far as, you know, Riker has written great. I mean, I think he his voice sounds really good. Uh, Troy is, you know, she's, she's not as annoying as she could be. I mean, Troy's kind of a take-it-or-leave-it character. You know, she is what she is. I don't mind her so much most of the time once you got past the first couple of years of Next Gen, and she's perfectly fine in this. Um, all the Romulan characters are, are pretty well-developed. Um, I cannot remember her name at the top of my head, but the the captain of the Romulan uh, warbird from Nemesis, who ends up helping them out, she ends up playing a fairly major role, and she has an interesting character because she's basically, you know, even though the Romulans and the Federation still aren't on the best of terms, she and Riker are friendly with each other because of their experiences in Nemesis. And, you know, overall, it's a a good book. There's, uh, you know, it's kind of a typical next-gen setup in that they're, you know, playing nursemaid to a race that needs to do power treaty talks, you know, power uh, sharing negotiations. But there's a good amount of action in there. You know, there's a, there's a real good climax. And it does, it does, you know, it does have a lot of setup because it is the first book, but it moves along snappily enough. And there's a lot of characters to keep track of, but it's not so bad. You know, it's not, it's not just data dump. They're introduced pretty organically. And, you know, it's, it's easy enough to follow. Uh, I would recommend it uh, if anyone who likes Next Gen, likes uh, like Star Trek Nemesis, likes Will Riker. I think it's a good pickup. Um, I've already got the second one, which is called The Red King. I haven't begun that reading that yet. That's on my uh, queue of books to read. But uh, yeah, anybody who likes uh, Next Generation, likes like I said, likes Will Riker, interested in some uh, new non-Enterprise specific adventures, uh, check out Taking Wing from the Star Trek Titan series. Thanks a lot, everybody. All right, we're back, <laughs> and now we're Whoa. ready for some for some Star Trek: The Original Series, or TOS, as as us cool people like to refer to it, to shorten it down. I'm sorry, as opposed which cool to people? TAS. 
<laughs> Us cool people, dude. <laughs> Are you listening to TNG, TOS, or TAS? Or, well, you'd be watching it, actually. <laughs> All right. So I don't know about the Those here. are the we only got, ones uh, I watch, anyway. This time around, we are looking at uh, the the compendium. What number was this? Because the compendium says this was number ten. Was that the number that came up on the on the I, random number? God, generator? I can't I can't remember I a month know. back in, <laughs> in my past. Well, actually, let me see. I've got my I've got my little list here. I'm trying to remember just what number that it. Uh, as long as we don't do, as long as we're not doing shows over again, I don't care if there's a discrepancy in. <laughs> As long as we both review the same show and and we don't repeat them, then we're doing good. (laughs) Oh, you know what? It it said that Corbomite Maneuver... On this list, it says Corbomite Maneuver is number... So it must have been number seven on the list here is number... Anyway, I don't... It doesn't matter. Okay. um, Let's see. You know what? This book does not give air dates it gives like script dates and airing uh, filming dates but it doesn't give airing uh, anyway so the enterprise arrives at planet xo3 to learn the fate of dr roger corby the pasteur of archaeological medicine on board is nurse christine chapel corby's fiance who has given up a bio research career on earth to find him Corby contacts the Enterprise and confirms that he is living in underground caverns he discovered while he was suffering from severe frostbite five years before. At Corby's request, only Kirk and Christine beam down. The the doctor shows them ancient machines that were left behind by the uh, long-dead exoites. I don't think they're ever called that in the episode, by the way. Intended by Ruck, a giant android. Corby's aides, Dr. Brown and young Andrea, are revealed as androids, and Corby fashions an android duplicate of Kirk. His intention is to take the Enterprise and seed the universe with androids. When Corby uh, vaporizes Ruck, Kirk argues that the androids are neither peaceful nor human. Corby himself, transformed into an android, disputes this at first. When Corby realizes that he is more machine than man, hmm, where have I heard that before? He turns a phaser on himself and Andrea. Spock arrives with a landing party moments later. Nurse Chapel announces that she is staying with the Enterprise crew. And you know what? That review, that uh, synopsis is almost as boring as the episode itself. <laughs> I'm I like sorry. this I episode. You, I know you do, but and it's not that it's bad. It's just, oh my God. It's, it's really slow. It's Robert it Block, should, you know, wrote it. Robert Block of Psycho? Yeah, I know. And, uh... Wow, was there a lot of recycled music in this one, too? I noticed a lot of enemy yes. music in this episode. Yes. Well, at least it's, it's, it's exciting music. Yeah. Um... God, I think my biggest note on this one was... Um, this episode stood out in my memory because I remember when the Star Trek videotapes started coming out originally you know for sale uh-huh. in, in sale places the picture that was used on the cover of the enemy within was erroneously uh from this episode it was it was kirk and android kirk sitting at the table talking to each other that was the right cover right i remember and, that yeah it was it was wrong it wasn't even from that episode but uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this because I, you know, I've got a few things, but for the most part, um, 
I mean, my my reaction is like, meh, you know, it's it's an okay well, episode. Right, right off the bat, I watched the the remastered version, so I had a beautiful shot from under the Enterprise at the beginning. Yeah. And when they when when they when they drive away, they've put the nacelles in. So when you're looking out the back of the Enterprise, you see the mm-hmm. nacelles. So yeah. you're like, look, you know, it's like, okay, they they interpolated that there'd be a camera on the back of the bridge looking out, and that's what it would look like. And that, I thought that was that was a nice little touch, but that really has nothing to do. I like this this episode because it it covers some issues, but in a goofy way. <laughs> it's goofy. It's it's just got it a lot goofy. of movement, color, and fu- I mean, it's got Lurch being huge. And people falling in bottomless pits, and my favorite cave of every any Star Trek at all. It's the like the the cheesy sprayed on you know sprayed on color shiny cave. But they just sort of you could tell they sort of built it so that they could film it from five different angles and make it look like there's a whole bunch of cave there. But it's really just sort of one cave set that they keep using over and over again with with people lurking around in it in different places, you know. It was just a very simple set, very cheesily used to good effect. I I love that. And, I mean, just, I mean, it's it's full of classic elements, you know. There's every doctor in Star Trek on the faraway planet is some famous, you know, his reputation precedes (laughs) him. Um, I thought you would love this because... Come on, this is like the pointy boob episode of of She's Star Trek. She's gorgeous. Yes, that is actually a, a which strong... one? Which who? Who are you talking about? Andrea who are you or talking Nurse about? Chapel? Nurse Chapel oh, has no. the boobs you can cut glass with because she's got no. that outfit that make them pointy. Andrea's like almost to the point of she's... porn though. She's just she's just a naked girl in a in a really yeah. skimpy outfit. All right, Nurse Chapel and, does does nothing for me. Now, I liked Majel Barrett as as uh, an actress, and I liked almost every character she ever played, with one huge exception. But uh, she just—I never thought of her as as attractive or anything. She she—I don't know. She's like she's like somebody's mom to me. She just doesn't. But what I'm saying know, is Roddenberry did, and and he you, you, I I can almost see Roddenberry going. All right, let's get this camera angle real low here when we're going by the because <laughs> it's like the most insane upskirt sh- shot of you know it's just like and it's lit and stuff. It's it's definitely her episode. She gets the backlit on the bridge treatment, you right. know, when she's talking to Kirk. It's like where'd that light come from? I don't see that light when they cut away from her. Right, you know, the one that's no, making the halo Andrea. around her head. She's gorgeous. Yeah, she's hotsy totsy. Yeah, she and, is. And, you know, of course. I, I don't I, I had forgotten her entirely, you know, when we were when we were talking at some point in the How? past about, you know, babes in Star Trek. And she yeah. is just a knockout. We, we missed this episode way back on our Halloween episode because this was a good sk- when I was a kid. Ruck tossing people into the bottomless pit. <laughs> bottomless pits are free. will freak you out as a kid at. And it's just that classic beginning where the guy they you know who meets them is not right you know their guy falls into the pit and the guy's like, yeah, tough break you know yeah, <laughs> yeah it's bottomless no he's dead he's dead man 
He's dead. We might as well forget it. Come on, let's go. How would you feel to be Matthews? All all fucked up and pulped and everything. Your legs are all busted and your elbows are, you know, at weird angles right. and everything. He's he's busted starting up, he's starting to float right. down there and Kirk never even like calls up to the ship to say, well, Hey, could you he's, you know, scan? He says, Are there any outcroppings or anything? And the guy's like, There's no chance. Or, you know, yeah, he's dead on the he's dead pulped at the bottom of it and as he's rising up above his body, he comes out there just like Nah, he's gone, Kirk. Come on, let's go. And Kirk's like, all right, you know, and take it off. And he's like, hey, wait. <laughs> what right, a, wh- exactly. Where's the search party? Don't I get a search party? Yeah. Hey, we ate dinner in the mess hall once. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely occurred to me as I was watching this, that they never make any effort whatsoever to... Well, I mean, at the very least, you'd want to recover the guy's body, you know? I mean, you would assume he's got family somewhere. Right, yeah. Would, you know, well, what happened to him, you know? Well, the guy <laughs> said it's a bottomless pit, and it's just like, you know, really, it's not a bottomless pit. You know, you should be able to beam his corpse out from the bottom of it at the very least. And right. maybe they did, or, or you know, or... Or whatever, but you know, or and, and at the end, it's like two of them piled on top of each other at the bottom of it. You know, I <laughs> I assume that's how Ruck destroyed the other guy. And I know I, they uh, never do uh, even another, say how he, uh, he might have eaten him. You okay. know, you don't know. <laughs> All right, you get you get to see what what other Star Trek episode do you get to see Nurse Chapel and Lieutenant Uhuru make out? <laughs> None. See, no answer. Nothing. You have nothing to well, say you know, to that. You don't like this episode? They make out. Well, they don't make out, but they, you know, they, they, it, it's close as you're going to get for, you know, the 60s, man. I wonder when we used to watch these as kids, I wonder if that part was left in there where, where Uhura gives her a little peck on the cheek as she goes down to the planet. Because I, I don't remember seeing that, and it kind of surprised me. I, I don't was remember like, that either. You know, that was just tossing it. That, that's the one that was tossing out continuity. She's like, "What, Mister Spock? You, you've obviously never had a fiance." Well, no, actually, he has. Remember, he almost yeah. killed his captain over it. Remember, he threw his soup. Remember that soup that he whipped at you? <laughs> you made it. You spent <laughs> well, no, all I day mean, making that goddamn soup, and he whipped it out the door. But that's way later. I think that's. An, uh, I think that's in a whole other season, isn't it? I think mm. I could be wrong. I, I think don't that's know. A second season episode. I think I know it's past this one because this is an early episode. This, I, this one's... Uh, another thing I love is when she sees, you know, she sees a- Andrea and her Andrea, and she's, you know, she's like, "So, why do you have her here?" And then, and, right. and then he's like, "Oh no, 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 she's just an android." And then she's just like, "Yeah, but why do you have the?" A-? You know, it would be like him going. Yeah, but she's a blow-up doll, you know. And, right. 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 So, you know, and she, and then she's, and I love it in in the '60s, you know, in the in the in the those days, the way to get you know, to get around the censors, how they how they had the whole little verbal sparring of what was going on, and he was basically saying, you know, he was basically doing, "Hey, baby, I love you. She can't love me." Right. You know, she's just, we're just having some fun, you know. She can't love. She's a robot. They can't love. She can't love me. She can't, we can't have love, Um, you know, and he's leaving out, you know, that they can have bang, bang. (laughs) 
Oh, we can right. we bang bang all day, but I don't love Doctor Doctor Corby. No, 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 no. But you know, so so basically, she's you know she's given her the hairy eyeball and is determined. Oh, Corby made himself a you know a fuck doll, but she don't mean nothing to you know now that you're here you know, and to prove it, he's like here go over to and Kirk's probably just like ew I don't want you her your your blow up doll kissing me. And I like at one point she does she turns the table on Kirk and gives him the the kissy kissy strikey strikey. <laughs> you know, kiss him now, strike him. See, I don't think he minds at all because you know, then that one scene where she no! comes in to, to give him lunch or whatever, that's the first thing he does is it, come here, kiss me. <laughs> I must, <laughs> I, I must try that. to toy. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out how to do this. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna try, you know, it's classic. It's Kirk versus, you know, Kirk versus robots. Come on, and, and how, how, how. How much of other of a classic episode is this? Kirk does a shoulder roll into the corner, you know, in, yes. in, during one of his fights. Just a, a totally needless and and awesome Shatner shoulder roll. It's just, it's classic. It's colorful. There's two Kirks. Whenever you have two Kirks, although it's ridiculous because, you know, okay, so. You know, the whole thing of, like, calling Mr. Spock a half, you know, the whole half-breed thing where they make this whole big deal of, like, you know, this guy thinks like Kirk. He can even fool, you know, he can even fool his own nurse into thinking it's him. Yet when he goes on to the Enterprise, he totally acts like an ass and anomalously, you know. I mean, Mr. Spock, it doesn't even take Mr. Spock to, you know, to Stevie Wonder could have seen that it wasn't really the real Kirk. <laughs> You know, so, so I mean, you know, they don't, you know, usually, usually when you have two Kirks, you have the, they explore the whole episode, you know, explores the dynamic between, but these two Kirks just get one scene at the table together to sort of, and I like this evil Kirk. He's more grinny and smug and more like, you know, he's just a slightly evil Kirk. I love it. So it's got all it's just like all the elements thrown in in a blender, you know, and and the, you know, the big twist ending that you pretty much knew was coming that that Corby himself is a is a robot. Yeah. It's I I just I enjoyed it all the way through and when when and I mean the scene and oh my god, I could have used more of Ruck talking cuz man, I just Man, that guy's got that voice. It's just awesome, Ted you know. Cassidy, whatever he yeah. says, you can put the dumbest lines in his in his in his mouth, and they're just gonna come out sounding like, you know, insane. I mean, he's just humongous when he's throwing Shatner around. It's like he's like he's like picking up a doll and just tossing it, but it's like a real person. It's like awesome, awesome shit, and he's like. He looks like one of those like puppets, you know, those bad puppets that are just hand puppets because of that outfit he's wearing. He's got that weird head and just like that cloak. So it looks like it's just somebody with their hand underneath it tossing around Shatner. I love it. So, meh. Did you know that he did the uh, the opening narration for the Incredible Hulk TV show? Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation interacts with his unique body chemistry. That makes sense, I guess. 
for some reason, I always thought that that was Lou Ferrigno <laughs> that did that voiceover, but it was Ted Cassidy. That's a trip. Lou Ferrigno, yeah, Lou Ferrigno, you can hear a little bit of the deafness to his voice, you know, that, that little bit right. of, it's almost like a nasal quality to it. That that voice is like, boom. Yeah, that's, right, that's yeah. he's got an awesome voice. He's got, I, you know, I, I was just like, for for some reason in my head, I misremembered this one as Ruck never talked. I thought Ruck was yeah, just like yeah, that surprised me a too. giant golem sort of thing that just like, you know, lurked or, lurked around like Lurch, you know. But then he, you know, he did like Lurch every once in a while. You know, he just had a few lines where he's, oh, the old ones left me here. Now I remember must destroy Ruck must. I, I fucking love it. <laughs> Get him. Get him. But uh, yeah, that's basically that's all my notes for this this one. I I know you didn't have many. Yeah, I, I know that you here. did not care for it. No, I I you know it's not that it's bad. It's just I don't know. I thought it was kind of dull. It's like you say it does it does have a lot of the classic elements. It just I, I felt like you know it didn't do anything with them. But uh, I did have a couple quick things here. What is that dildo looking thing that Kirk's holding at the beginning of the episode? <laughs> Did you notice that? It was it was like a it, it almost looked like a modern day electric shaver no. but it had a different kind of head on it and it was very I noticed there was a lot of pointy phallic looking objects in this episode because that part where Kirk Yeah, he pulls off a, a piece of, of that stalactite. That's a famous picture you see all over the internet these days where it looks like Kirk is holding a giant dildo. It's it's absolutely hysterical. But it, that that picture's from this episode, and, and when he did that, it showed him standing there waiting to club rock yeah, with I, it. I was like, "That's funny as hell." <laughs> but yeah, go back and look at the beginning well, of this episode, and you'll see the thing I'm talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, he's. I, I vaguely. I, I'm. Thing. Yeah, it's like he's shaving. It's like it. I I sort of remember that vaguely. Yeah. I don't really have um, the episode queued up here, or I'd or I'd watch it, but. Something else. Yeah, to I'm go not back. sure what was going on with that. <laughs> Something else to definitely go back and take a look at is all right. That part after Ruck throws Kirk, he actually, you know, he picks him up several times, but then there's a scene where he actually picks him up and he throws him, chucks across him. The room. Yeah. All right. The scene immediately following that is where Andrea comes walking into the same room where Christine is for, and I forget what for, but as she comes walking in, if you watch this episode in the, the restored high def version and everything, definite camel toe. And it's really, really, <laughs> it's nice. I was like, wow, that's pretty wild. But you know, you would not, you definitely wouldn't have seen it you know, back in the day on, on crappy, you know, TVs and everything like that. Old crappy watch TV with bad reception. It. Yep. You can definitely see it these days. And I was, uh, we live I in an age of miracles, my friend. Yes, age we of miracles. do. <laughs> um, is it just me or does Corby look a hell of a lot like Michael Eisner? I mean, a lot like him. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I never thought of that. He does. And I looked the guy up on uh, 
some site. I just chalked it up to him being a character actor that I've probably seen a million times on, like, Bonanza and stuff like that, you know? But, no, you're there right. Were, yeah, there were several points in this episode where I was looking at him going, damn, this has got to be Michael Eisner's dad or uncle or something, because he does look so much like him. It was actually kind of freaky. But I couldn't, I couldn't find any, uh, any relationship between the two of them. But yeah, he does look a lot like, like I'm talking like modern day Michael Eisner, where you can tell that you know uh, a lot of his money's been going to, his, you know, into his mouth, you know, because <laughs> he's put some pounds on. You know? uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Why in the hell does the android maker machine spin around? That was just goofy. I mean, what purpose does that just serve? A, that... It's a worker. It's it's visual and it it's uh, you know, and it gives you the round thing with a line down the middle gives you an easy way to cut a double exposure when you have the two Kirks on it, you know, yeah. and you have to film Shatner twice. Having something round, you can mirror the image over, and uh, you know to do a composite. You know, it was probably all just to, and it's dramatic, you know, it spins around and you can't see the actual process, but you know, when it stops spinning, you know, because then you don't actually have to see, I mean, nowadays you could watch a nice 3D CGI version of that piece of, you know, spray foam that they put in there, which I, I, you could tell had no weight to it, you know, and all of a sudden it becomes, but you would see that, you know, warp and contort into into Kirk and stuff, but right. I think it was just a special effects workaround and it was just like it's just it's just visual. It's 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 got movement and I mean as a kid it freaked me out. I thought it was awesome, you know. It made some sort of sense. On. It's doing something. I think you may have hit on one of my problems with this episode is as I was watching it and, and hearing what it was about, learning the story and everything, it, you know, I was like, you know, this, it's not a bad premise. This is actually could potentially be a really epic Star Trek storyline, you know, that that this guy intends to to replace people with androids. I mean, it, it actually is a pretty cool science fiction-y concept. I think part of the problem, though, is that they were hampered by, you know, both the special effects and the budgetary limitations of the day, and uh, especially of this series. And so I think they were trying to to bite off a little bit more than they could chew, you know, as as far as being actually able to render this on the the screen. And I think that's ultimately Uh what my problem with it was, is it was it was a story they really just couldn't deliver. And well, so it's it just very stagey. Come... It's like a stage play. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah, and with a story like that, you don't want to see a bunch of talky-talky. You want to see them doing stuff, you know? You want to see the actual... I don't know. It, it just... It would be interesting to try to revisit that story in some way, or, or I, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> It, it was it was an interesting concept that I just thought was presented in kind of a dry manner. But one thing I did catch, though, this is not an episode that would come immediately to my mind of, you know, one of the classic Star Trek tropes is Kirk 
outsmarting a computer. And he does that in this. When he has his confrontation with with Ruck, he actually, you know, employs the old Kirk, you know, outthink the computer type of thing and sways Ruck to, to his side. And yeah, he does that. Uh, oh, is this your logic? This is... Yeah. I mean, is this yeah, early enough he... in the series that this could actually be the first time that, that Kirk did that? I think it might be. I'm trying to think of an episode that would be earlier than episode this. Episode 7, yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was worth noting, but... You know, it's not like he talked the computer into suicide like he did with, like, the M5 or Nomad or what, but he definitely, you know, outlogicked, you know, this, this android. I thought that was pretty cool. But that's about all I he got didn't really. He one. didn't... I, I don't think he actually outlogicked the robot because I don't think he tricked the robot... He just used, he just put he put the robot back onto its original track, because Corby had sort of hijacked this robot for his own use, and Kirk went back and said, "Hey, wait, you know, you were built by the old ones. What happened with them?" And you know, and he was like, "I don't know. It was a long time ago." But pro- then you know, he started. I remember, you know, they they did exactly what Corby's doing. They fucked everything up, and now they're gone. And he's like, "Must destroy Corby." Right. So Ruck was acting according to his, you know, it wasn't like Kirk did the like whole logical, you know, uh, paradox thing that makes your your circuit start to smoke and 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 short circuit. But uh, yeah, he does. He totally and and he's working uh, um, Andrea too. So yeah, yeah I, 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 I I I enjoyed I mean, I the hell out of it. Kiss my toast. Yeah, all day it was. Long, but I'm not. <laughs> You know, I'm not going to turn it. I would have kissed. You know. Yeah, but I would have kissed that toaster, man. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying I wouldn't. <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, Corby had made this big presentation earlier about, you know, she doesn't have emotions. She's not programmed that way. And, you know, she's not swayed by, by feelings or anything. And then Kirk, you know in the classic Kirk style puts the lips to her and it totally like you know yeah well Kirk's like obviously Corby yeah yeah he was like Corby obviously you weren't you weren't a a man enough to make the robot feel (laughs) grow a pair man and maybe you can make the robot feel like Kirk or you can just you know fuck her over to your point of view either way watch watch the master work here (laughs) yeah exactly watch the master at work no, no emotions, huh? Come on. <laughs> give, She'll have emotions give her a crack. this. I'm William Shatner. Watch me employ my patented mash my face against the young actress's face in the manner of a kiss method that turns them all hot pants Watch, me. Watch her arm in that sequence. He's holding her so tight that when he lets go, <laughs> it has, like, the imprint of his hand on her arm. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah. talking about? Because she like, was probably, like, the actress was probably struggling to get away. His, You know, he probably went and had Mugu Gai Pan for lunch and comes back <laughs> and is like, hey, uh, big scene's coming up, dear, you know, uh, you ready for it? And glom, gloms on her and then, and, yeah, you know how, you, you see how Kirk kisses? He doesn't do a nice little, like, sensitive like kiss with the lips he takes his whole head and mashes it into her face as if he's trying to merge their heads into one globe 
And then he sort of, you know, tips his head back and forth at 45 degree angles. He's got a whole method <laughs> going there. And they, and they probably, you know, they're probably like, you know, when it was cut, they're probably like walking away like, and they're like, no tongue. I said no tongue. Sorry, I just, I'm, I'm in character. Kirk would have the tongue out. Kirk would deploy the tongue. I just can't help but wonder how many of these these guest actresses Kirk got, you know, Shatner got to bag in real life. I, I hope he got lucky with this one because, damn, she's fine. I think he got, I think he got a few, but I have a feeling that he might have been kind of creepy <laughs> to them. You know, I, I don't know. know. I don't know. I, don't I, mean, know. They, you know, I so think I think anything I've ever seen you know where, where an actress is talking about her guest in on on star trek they've all always got nice things to say about shatner they always seem very enamored of shatner so i don't know i don't i don't think oh, maybe well, maybe you never know maybe but you know so far just... of, of the episodes that we've we've done for star trek monthly monday i would say that it's it comes down to her and the girl from Dagger of the Mind so far, the two hottest ones that we've we've come across. She's got for, the hottest for, outfit because. Oh yeah. She's got a hot outfit. Her her outfit is just like one of those outfits that accentuates nudity. It says this mm-hmm. person's very close to being nude, and. Uh, it yes. looks good doing it. And, uh, and here she is. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I yeah, think they we've were, they were at, for, for accenting all the lady part. Yeah, it wasn't us. It was Roddenberry. <laughs> Blame Roddenberry. He's dead. <laughs> all right, That's we'll be back with some. Uh, yeah, we'll be back with some. Uh, what, what, what's next? The DC Comics? I don't know. Let's face it, boobs are the greatest thing ever. For some reason, women keep trying to cover their lady prizes up. Sometimes they even wear undershirts, which is a real fucking buzzkill. Well, now some asshole has invented this new boob apron, which is like a piece of a shirt that women attach to their bras so they can feel like they're wearing an undershirt when it's really just a boner-killing titkerchief. If you wear a boob apron, then you can look like a librarian, a receptionist, or someone who's allergic to parties. Why wear an undershirt when it gives you breast wedgie? And boob aprons are even worse. For some reason, a guy telling a girl she has nice hooters is bad. But boob apron takes all the fun out of a date in no time. Boob apron has fancy fabrics and was made by slave children overseas, which makes wearing boob apron worse because now you support slavery. Life sucks enough as is. And at times, getting a peek at cleavage is all men have to look forward to. Why would anybody invent something to ruin a man's happiness and take away his dreams? Regardless of what fucking colors this dream robber comes in. This is America, where we're supposed to make dreams come true, not take them away with a fucking fun bag napkin. Isn't life all about being proud of the gifts God gave you? Because believe me, if guys had boobs, we'd only leave the house to show them off. Hey, hop on the phone now, and you can double the buzzkill factor and get twice as many boob aprons as before for the same price. Whoop-de-fucking-do! Yeah, just order a tall stack of these blue ballers and ruin the fun for everyone. And don't forget to ask the operator if he or she has any other ideas on how to make life less fun. Like a mouthwash that gives you poison ivy. Or french fries with herpes. That'd be just great. Boob apron. Worst fucking invention ever.
rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. Welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Mondays, number 27. And uh, next up is Chris Honeywell reviewing what could be the best episode of Star Trek, DC Comics Star Trek so far. Could be, but isn't. Anyway, here it is. It could be, but yeah, it's a long, it's a long way actually from that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yes, this is uh, DC Star Trek Comics number 20. It is... Um, November of 1985, if you want to go back in the, the way back machine, the year before Scott and I graduated, it's DC's 50th anniversary from 1935. Um, we've got a, a cover by uh, Sutton and Ray. I don't know who, W-R-A-Y, I don't know who Ray's Fay Ray. Um, first name is. Fay Ray, Fay Ray and, uh, is the inker on this one. <laughs> And uh, and uh, so uh, now I'm doing this off a of CBR, and it was really hard to read. But the writer is Winona Woods. Is that is yeah. that the name? Is it Winona? Yeah. Um, yeah. And the art once again is 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 the same team it's been for a while. Sutton and Villagran, and uh, with uh, Michelle Wolfman doing uh, colors in this one. And this one is called Geary, not to be confused with. Miri, you listen, and, uh, It's a Sulu-centric story, so uh, Sulu is taking a little uh, side trip side trip to uh, represent his mother at a family wedding, and uh, his cousin is marrying a member of a sort of rival family clan uh, that that both have um, companies that manufacture uh, these giant robot suits called cyber suits. That are used for, you know, building and repairing spaceships and such, and uh, um, it's it's a uh, very uh, sort of Shakespearean um, Romeo and Juliet. You get the Hatoyama clan and the Heiki Heiki or Heiki family, and uh, uh, Sulu is part of the Hatoyama clan and not part of the Heiki Breaky family. <laughs> the Heiki Breaky farts. So, uh, so Sulu takes a little time off from and uh, goes to what I'm assuming is Japan on Earth uh, to meet the patriarch of the family, his uncle Hatoyama Kiyomori. Or his uncle's actually, but they, you know, it's ba it's all backwards like these foreign cultures are. So his uncle's name is really Kiyomori, and uh, he's the old patriarch of the family and. Uh, and he sort of says, you know, I'm I'm endorsing this wedding and encouraging it because I'm just old. I'm sick of this feud, and I just want it to be over. And our once our families are married, you know, we're we're gonna merge the companies and and the feud will be over. And, uh, and he's by the way, let's take the monorail to the uh, 
to the factory and look at the new, you know, the new models of the robot suits. So uh, they go there, and when they get there, they uh, meet the groom-to-be from the other family whose name is Rejiro or Rejiro, Rejiro, R-E-J-I-R-O. And uh, so they exchange pleasantries and, you know, uh, and this and that. But while this is happening, one of the giant cyber suits sort of springs to life and um, uh, attacks Sulu's uncle. And Sulu, using his Starfleet training and some Jedi-looking moves, um, <laughs> subdues the suit and pulls its you know power pack programming block out and uh, sort of notices it's been tampered with and smells a rat, but he doesn't seem to mention it to anybody. And uh, we also find out in the next scene when uh, Sulu goes to talk to his cousin about the marriage that he and his cousin were sort of an item back... Uh, back in the day until Sulu had to leave for Starfleet and sort of left her in the lurch. But uh, she still sort of has the hot pants for him, but, you know, out of this whole family, you know, tradition and honor thing, she's got to get married to Rujiro and, uh, you know, bring peace and order to the two families. Um, unfortunately, the groom is listening to this whole conversation and... Uh, you know, he, he storms out of the little garden room where they were talking, where he was secretly listening, and, you know, starts, you know, having a bit of exposition where we find out he was the one who programmed the cyber suit to kill Kayamori. And, uh, you know, in, in some, yeah, and somewhere in the, in the, you know, in the past, his father was killed in this whole feud, and he blames, you know, Kiyomari for that. And, um, so, you know, he's basically like, well, you know, I didn't kill him now, but I'll get him. I'll get him. I'm ha this whole wedding's going on, so I'll get a chance to kill this guy. So, uh, the next night, Sulu foils his next attempt at this guy's life by, uh, figuring out that he poisoned the sake because the serving robot is serving people, you know, making sure that he's serving this guy first and he won't serve anybody before that, so Sulu... Once again, smells a rat and offers the, the sake to this guy, and this guy is not going to drink it. So Sulu's just like, aha, I see what's going on, and sort of calls him on it. Uh, the guy whips out a sword, but Sulu, of course, you know, you know, whoops his ass. And then a chase ensues, and <laughs> um, Sulu, just to make a long story short, Sulu subdues the guy first <laughs> using a pair of chopsticks, then, by actually donning a cyber suit while this guy's in a cyber suit and having a space cyber suit fight where Sulu actually, you know, disables the guy's cyber suit and brings him in. And uh, so, um, I guess it seems honor's been restored to the clan by foiling this guy's plot and catching him. But, you know, um, Sulu's getting ready to leave. Uh, we find out his cousin's still going to get married to the guy because, you know, she said she would and it's part of the family honor. So she's ashamed of what he did, but they're still going to unite the two families and merge the cyber suit companies. And I don't really know what the fucking moral of this story is supposed to be. <laughs> uh, that's the end of it. It just sort of ends there. I don't know what yeah. we're supposed to get out of this. Uh, you know, I, it doesn't seem to be a meditation on honor and duty. And I mean, those those words are banding, bandied about in the story, but it doesn't really have anything to do 
with with any you know i guess at the end the, there's is a, is it a twist that she's like yes i still marry him because of yeah okay whatever you know sulu doesn't seem that t- i mean he he gazes out of the window and goes ah oh, well i'll miss her you know but I really actually would rather go get some penis to tell you the truth. Oh my. Uh, the groom was looking the groom was looking kind of good there. Well, I'm actually Honestly, he's not bit. too torn up he's not too torn up yeah, after the gonna... he's not too torn up over Well he does say my life has been a little emptied, which is a goofy line to end the comic on. But, you know, except for for your last comment, I'm really glad to hear you say this because I walked away from this thinking, ugh, you know, there's no resolution. What what exactly? You know what's funny is right at the end of mine, at the the bottom of mine, I've I've written the words, ugh. That's right, brother. U-G-H, ugh. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Might as well. I think so much better if it had been a Dr. McCoy story and it was the McCoys and the Hatfields. Maybe it's uh-huh. just me. You know? Oh, two dag That's how it ends. That's, that's how it ends is Kurt comes down and, and puts on a gets a fiddle and like <laughs> makes them dance and beat the shit out of each other. Grab a fence, hold it, hold it tight. <laughs> whirl, whirl, twist and twirl, fly around like a flying squirrel. Now don't you cuss and don't you swear, come right out and form a square. <laughs> trout, trout, pretty little trout, one more splash and come right out. <laughs> I fucking love that song, man. (laughs) Be a space Hatfield or be a space McCoy. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Where to fucking start on this thing? For one thing, you know, people look back <laughs> at the comics of the of the thir- late 30s and and especially during the wartime of the 40s at the way yeah. um Japanese people were portrayed and and find it so offensive yes. and so embarrassing and all that sort of thing. All they have to do is look back to 1985. God damn, has this come off as the most embarrassing thing? I mean, seriously. Yeah, I mean, at one point, every, every, everything, like, he's like, oh, sushi. What are they serving at the party? Sushi. Sushi. He actually throws his, he throws his fucking chopsticks at the guy. He bounces, he throws his chopsticks at the guy and bounces them off the back of his head. Well, you know, it was you yourself that, that commented about, you know, they've got this, this giant, automated facility where Sulu and his whatever the hell this guy is cousin or whatever actually take a monorail into the thing and who greets them but the patriarch looking like fucking Mr. Miyagi you know I mean he's got the yeah with, with a with a staff staff you know the bamboo staff. I'm thinking Jesus Christ I mean this is it's actually embarrassing and then how does the issue wrap up Okay, we've got a bunch of Japanese care or whatever they're supposed to. I guess it's ja- Japan. I guess is this culture. I don't J- think they ever. Japanese. Really said. The, the, 
Well, yeah, I, I and, believe he's Japanese. And they, and they're bowing to each other and yeah. everything. They end up fighting in giant robots. Come, I mean, really? Come on, seriously? Giant robots in Star Trek? It just, it was really. Well, he only resorted to using a giant robot when his chopstick, when, you know, battling with the <laughs> chopsticks didn't work. <laughs> and, you know, if I was George Takei, I think I'd be pretty pissed with this story because. If he ever even read it. Last, yeah, exactly. The very last panel in this is the only one that even vaguely looks like him. I mean, they draw the little war over his one eyebrow that he has in real life. But beyond that, I mean, it doesn't look a goddamn thing like him. It just looks like an Asian dude. And it's just, you know, I mean, you guys know me. I'm not big on the whole political correctness thing, but there comes a point where, you know, you got to look at it and go, Jesus, you know. Well, there's uh, commons, there's political correctness and there's common yeah, sense. And then there's, you know? and then there's a point where you just look at it and go, come on, were they trying to be offensive with this? But uh, let me see. I did have a couple. Well, at least there isn't a part where everybody had their camera around their neck and was taking pictures, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or they didn't have, or maybe that's why they have monorails because nobody can be trusted to drive a car there because they're such bad drivers, you know. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get letters. All right, page <laughs> seven. I mean, you you called it with this one, the, with the Jedi maneuvers. But seriously, even back at this time in 1985, what was George Takei? He had to be what 40, 50 years old. You know, there's no oh, yeah. he's going to be up on top of a giant robot hanging by the antennas and doing backflips and shit and pulling this thing over. I mean, that's what he does. He literally does yeah. this. That's how he brings the robot down. He he like Jedi flips over the top of it, grabs he like grabs a pa two antennas and and when they fling him backwards, yeah. He flips over it and pulls out you know the the thing that that yeah. that powers it. No, you know, I'm sorry, I'm, yeah, I'm not buying that at all. He was too old for these kind of gymnastics. I don't know that you could ever really, you know, do that anyway. But come on, um, right? <laughs> what else have I got on this one? One thing I did find very interesting. Now I know nothing about Japanese culture at all, but I mean, is this actually cool in Japanese culture to to get it on with your cousin? I thought that only happened in like Alabama. Uh, I'm wondering if she is third cousin, his fourth cousin. It's really funny. Uh, talking about the last one, though, and speaking of his cousin, there's a shot of her drinking soup on page 13. Mm -hmm. Those those bottom four panels could be out of that Wolverine comic, <laughs> out of that Frank Miller Wolverine comic. That's exactly like oh, Frank right. Miller's style, yeah. like art and, and framing and everything, which is weird. Did you notice the streams getting crossed? Did you notice the point where the streams got crossed in this comic, though? With Star Wars, you mean? Yes. Mm, no, I don't. I don't think so. Where Where was that? It was the shuttle that Sulu took over to uh, to uh, meet the giants to the space station. Oh, let me flip back. Starfleet shuttle NCC one one three eight. I did see that. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't make a note of it, but you're right. Yeah, one one three eight. I did catch that. I did catch that. Well, one thing else that I caught, and I don't know. I, I tried to look this up and couldn't find any confirmation on it whatsoever. But I thought it was very interesting that the love interest in this, you know, his his cousin, her name is Keiko. 
now years and years and years down the road, um, one of the breakout characters from from Next Generation was um, Chief O'Brien, the woman that he ended up marrying on that show. And then they eventually went to live on Deep Space Nine and were a part of that series. Her name was Keiko. And I kind of wonder, you know, could that possibly owe back to this lousy issue? You know, I mean, it's a bit of a stretch. And I, you know, I have no idea, you know, Keiko in Japan might be like John over here. I I have no idea, but I just thought it was very interesting. You know, when, when, when they had the writers, you know, the writers might've been reading these old comics just to get themselves into a Star Trek state of mind and been like, Oh, okay. You know, I'll take a little bit from here and there. Yeah, I mean, you never, this, this doesn't seem like the kind of, the kind of issue of the comic that you would be like, wow, I want to pay tribute to uh, Geary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that was my. So it, I don't know. It's not like this is a fan favorite, um, issue or you know, so far as I'm aware, anyway. I mean, I could be completely wrong. I mean, I don't, you know, I've never been any a part of any sort of like uh, organized yeah. Trek fandom. Thing, I would, so I wouldn't see it I mean, being as such. But uh, I mean, you know, I I do know that like Conan, for exi- you know, for example, was a popular character and was you know, served as some sort of inspiration for Roddenberry putting a, a Klingon in next gen, you know, with Worf. So you never know. I mean, it, it, like I said, I just thought it was worth noting. I have no idea if, you know, there's any correlation whatsoever. I just thought it was interesting. Um, that's pretty much it for my notes. Um, I mean, my final summation on this was I'd really like to know exactly what the hell Ruggiero's beef was. You know, I, I know they gave him the whole thing of, you know, my father was killed and all that, but it just wasn't motivation enough. Why was he specifically so hellbent on this this one guy? It just was never adequate. Well, he was honor-bent to, he was honor bent to um, avenge his father – but at the at the same point, he's now honor bent to bring peace to it. So it just doesn't. It add doesn't up. add up it's at just all. Doesn't I mean, work. He, he, you know, if he if he was so intent that he was going to continue this thing, then why the hell was he marrying Keiko? It just didn't work for. Me. Well, he said it was so he could get access to you know the patriarch, but that's quite a. It's a stretch. I mean, yeah. and come on, you know, he he comes from. He wasn't he basically the head or one of the important people of the enemy clan. Nobody suspects him. When well, here's the thing: is is he's you know maybe he might go to jail and stuff, but they're still gonna the wedding's still gonna go on. They're still gonna merge it. Why? What's gonna stop him from just keeping up, keeping on trying to kill the patriarch till he kills him? Well, I you know has he he doesn't get he doesn't they don't after. You know, Sulu beats him up. He doesn't go, okay, you win. I'm going to let the guy live. You know, it's like, and he's not dead. So it's like, and then Sulu leaves. What What's going to stop him from the next time he gets a chance, you know, not putting a knife in his eye or something like that, you know? I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I, Nothing resolves no. for real. I mean, ultimately, I just, I found it to be embarrassing. I, I thought it was... It's not particularly good Trek, and I, uh, you know, I just think it's kind of, um, I don't know. I can't think of a better word than embarrassing or uncomfortable. It's well, just, it's, I, just, it's like Trek stuck in a stereotyped version of 
feudal Japan yeah. or something. Yeah, like, yeah, that's that's a good way. Yeah, it is with giant robots. Very, very <laughs> stereotyped. You know, J- Japanese people. Yeah. The, the only thing that really sets it apart from feudal Japan is that they have a monorail and they have giant robots. Otherwise, they're still doing it. You know, they're still you know using chopsticks and eating the same food and stuff. You, you know, katanas, whatever. I mean, yeah. yeah, Japan. Japan has absorbed more of modern culture now at this point than you know the twenty. You know, this isn't what Japan is like now. This isn't what the big businessmen in Japan are like now. Why are they going to go back to acting like feudal times in in the future? You know, I don't know. Why aren't they wearing business suits? This was a stinker, and I can only hope that uh, that it, it pulls out of this, you know, pretty quickly. I mean, you know, last the last couple of issues weren't too bad. I thought, you know, they were they were solo stories too, and uh, you know, they were they were pretty good. I thought, but this one just uh, it just didn't didn't work for me. Didn't do it for me at all. Yeah, no, I I agree. All right. <laughs> on that uplifting note <laughs> let's uh let's flush this turd and we'll be right back with uh a star trek tng which means the next generation but you all knew that because you're all super star trek geeks like us <laughs> How have you been? Hey, Bob, how's it going? Well, have you heard anything about it yet? Who is this? George Takei here. How have you been? I don't believe I know you. <laughs> I grew up in Arkansas. You did? Well, yes. I, so did I. But I don't believe I know you. I circled an ad here in the paper that might interest you. Here, it says, one lengthy black teenager for sale. Teenager for sale. Yes. Uh, just a minute. Uh, oh, great. Um, can you excuse me while I dappled my wang with the latex? Yeah. You won't believe what I just heard. What did you just hear? I love lengthy black men. Oh, you do? Excuse me, but aren't you a grimy Mexican? No, I'm just a hillbilly from Arkansas. You had better be prepared to turn wet and messy. Well, I'm going to tell you something, brother. You wrong sex make me wet and messy. Excuse me, but aren't you aroused? Aroused? No, you're pissing me off, motherfucker. You seem to be aroused. No, you're pissing me off. But I'm just a bit concerned about lengthy black teenagers. You sound like a sick motherfucker. Yes. I'd like to have about five minutes alone with you. You're pathetic. I'd make you pathetic, you piece I'll of shit. I'll show you. I'm going to get that wang. I bet you do. I hate you. I ain't got much damn use for you either. That's crazy. Crazy? You sound like you got a problem, brother. You ever read the Bible? Good Lord put a man to sleep and took a rib out of him for a walk. And if yes. you like long, lengthy black men, and you like, I bet you even like children, don't you? Yes. I'd give you $500 to meet you. I want to get to know your lengthy black lollipop. Oh, I got your black length lollipop. I love your wang. I bet you'd love my 12-gauge shotgun, too. Stuck up your ass and pull the trigger about three times. I feel ridiculous. 
No, you're ridiculous. <laughs> now, don't get all worked up over it. I'd like to put you out of your fucking misery. <laughs> I get a strong smell from my wag. Well, take a fucking bath. Good idea. One of my neighbors in Denver is a lengthy black teenager. Well, you should have called him. Excuse me, but aren't you a grimy Mexican? No, I'm not no Mexican. Oh, my God. Now what? Now, don't get all worked up over it. About what? My wang. Let me think about this. I'll call you back in an hour. Boy, I tell you what, now, I don't know how you come up with my motherfucking telephone number. But you, you hitting the wrong basis here. For one quarter of a century, they have thrilled us with their adventures, amazed us with their discoveries, and inspired us with their courage. Their ship has journeyed beyond imagination. Her name has become legend. Her crew, the finest ever assembled. We have traveled beside them from one corner of the galaxy to the other. They have been our guides, our protectors, and our friends. Now you are invited to join them for one last adventure. For at the end of history lies the undiscovered country. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm strong, I'm not. I'm getting younger. A dying commander takes a youth drug to fight terrorists holding hostages. But... Will dangerous side effects jeopardize their mission? If we don't deliver Jameson in five minutes, one of the hostages will be executed. Sir, look out! Find out on Star Trek The Next Generation. back with our final part of uh, Star Trek Monthly Monday, and in this one we're going to talk about Next Generation, but first, Scott's got something he wants to lay on you guys, man. <laughs> well, during the break I was uh, reading uh, the article in here in the Star Trek uh, compendium about the episode we talked about, the what, are, what are little girls made of, and there was a yes. thing in here about Ted Cassidy. Now everybody remembers Ted Cassidy as Lurch, you know, in the Adams Family. But uh, you you you've seen the Star Trek blooper reel, right? The old like real grainy, you know, yes. literally saved off the cutting room floor blooper reel that they put together yes. back in the day. Remember that part? I'm trying to remember what episode it's from. I can't remember. But there's a part in the bloopers where a giant uh, Indian runs in and grabs Shatner and like carries him off. In that one part, Shatner's going, I don't know what's going on. 
that's Ted Cassidy, because apparently, according to this, he played Injun Joe in the New Adventures of Huckleberry Finn that was running at the same time. And it said, uh, dressed as Injun Joe, Cassidy is also visible in the Star Trek blooper reel carrying off William Shatner. Oh, during the production of Bread and Circuses. That was the episode. I thought that was funny. I never, I always wondered about that part. I was like, why the hell is there an Indian running in and carrying Shatner away? And that, uh, that was what was going Wasn't on. he like a good friend of Rod- Roddenberry? I think really liked him because he put him in Star Trek. And he also, when he did uh, one of his pilots, it never got aired or it only, they only filmed a couple episodes. I yeah. can't remember what it was. It was it says, weird. Cassidy appeared in Gene Roddenberry's TV pilot movies Genesis 2 and Genesis Planet, 2. Uh, Planet Earth and in episodes of Lost in Space. Man from Uncle. He was in a lot of stuff. Well, yeah. Wouldn't he be? He was a giant with a booming voice. You I know? forgot that he was Sasquatch in The Six Million Dollar Man. I totally uh-huh. forgot about that. That's cool. I liked him. I, I was looking him up before that thing I was telling you about the Hulk. Um, I didn't know that. That was because I looked him up real quick, and there was a I think it was Wiki or something I was looking at. I was trying to remember when he died, because I thought he had lived a lot longer than than the date that it gave. But it was sometime. I think it said I don't have it in front of me now, but I think it said it was 1979. He was only 46. Yeah, usually guys that are that big usually have problems you yeah. know what i mean they yeah well you know we saw that physical at, problems you know, we saw um peter richard mayhew keel. and uh yeah yeah richard keel was actually on one of those get around you know yeah. he didn't look good at all no yeah. he looked but, like he was in pain actually i felt bad for him well so did uh so did peter mayhew you know he's he's all yeah hunched and looks he was drunk so you yeah, know that might to... tell you something you know yeah but uh, yeah, I just thought that was that was really interesting because I didn't know all that. Anyway, uh, what the hell are we talking? Oh yeah, we got to do this. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> yes, that's right. Well, you know, I'm not having a hard time finding the connection between episodes this month, folks. The connection is that <laughs> they stink. Um. All right. So let me see here. See, these are all out of order. Okay. Here we go. Now, see, this book puts... I'm looking at the Star Trek The Next Generation companion. And uh-huh. a lot of these early episodes in the first season were done in... They were produced in one order, but then they were aired in another order. So the production number on this one actually puts it right after Hide and Q, which we did quite a while ago. But the airing date puts it after well what the hell was the last episode that we did i don't even one 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 zero zero one zero one one zero zero one one zero you're right that was february that aired i don't know if we mentioned it in that episode but that one aired no we didn't because we did them as uh, commentaries yes one one zero zero one zero zero one aired the week of february 1st 1988 so this was the next episode february 8th 1988 damn that was a long time ago so anyway, uh, let's see. Here's the deal on this one. A hostage situation on Mordan 4 brings the Enterprise and Admiral Mark Jameson, who successfully no- uh, negotiated a peace treaty there 40 years earlier, back for another case. Unknown to Starfleet and Federation historians, Jameson actually appeased the planet leader, Karnas, <laughs> with arms for his <laughs> but kept the prime directive by supplying all his enemies. 
thus sparking four decades of civil war. Carnass doesn't need Jameson to negotiate on behalf of the hostages now. The invitation is just a ruse to get him there so the governor can exact his revenge. But the wheelchair-bound admiral has another surprise, which he has kept secret even from his wife, Anne. Another planet, grateful for Jameson's diplomacy, has revealed their de-aging compound to him, and he has been using it. His youthfulness startles his wife and the crew until the overdose starts to backfire. His body can't take the strain. Meanwhile, Picard arrives on Mordan and confronts Karnas with the truth, but the leader wants Jameson and doesn't believe the young man he sees before him is his, is his enemy of so long ago. Only Jameson's display of uh, their blood-cut scar convinces and amazes Karnas, but by now even vengeance is futile. The governor allows Jameson to die as his wife watches, and the admiral is buried on Mordan 4 at her request. Um, huh? Huh? I have only yeah. two notes on this whole episode. Yes. Um, there are actually both redeeming qualities of the episode. One, oh. there's no Wesley Crusher in it. That's always None good. at all. You're right. And Data does a shoulder roll, Kirk style. It's oh, yeah, awesome. you're right. Other than that, i got to be perfectly honest, I think this episode completely sucks ass. Wow. It's, it's my favorite episode of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. The thing that had to sell this episode, you know, just like Yoda being a Muppet, the thing that had to sell this one is that the, the guy, whatever the guy, the actor playing Jameson, his whole thing of being 90 years old and then de-aging through the episode it, it either made or broke the episode. In this case, it broke it. I never believed him as anything other than when he finally gets to the actor's normal age. Then uh -huh. he's actually a pretty good actor. But the entire thing where he was doing the shaky-headed old man thing, it was just fucking laughable. The, the makeup is terrible. He can't act for shit as an old man, and it just doesn't work. It looks awful. It What's comes it? off it's really cheesy. Doesn't he look like the guy for um now I can't now I'm embarrassed I can't remember his name that that we met at Dragon Con who's doing the You're original right. He looks like him. Yeah, when he's made up as the old man in Back to the Future 2. Is that what you're talking about? No, I'm talking about um um oh what's his name who's filming Star Trek episodes in the old garage there. Star Trek Phase oh, 2. Oh, 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 um Collie Collie, he reminds oh, yeah. me of James Kyle. We kept wanting to say James Carville or James or Jim Carrey, <laughs> but oh, he, he reminds me of him when when he's finally back to his youthful self. I was just waiting for him to turn into a baby and then a fetus or something, you know, or you know, or <laughs> that actually it. would have been cool. What I what I thought you were referring to was the makeup job because for some reason I've never understood, and God, I wish I had had the 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 state of mind at the time to ask him is we met, um, Oh my God. Now I can't remember his name. Charles Fleischer. Yes. We met Charles Fleischer and he has a cameo in back to the future Two, where he's heavily made up to look like an old man. And again, it's one of those makeup jobs that just doesn't work. It just looks like somebody with a hell of a lot of latex on him. Right, and right. I always wondered why did they do that because 
you know, it just it didn't quite work for I don't know if he was supposed to be a character from earlier in the series that we were supposed to recognize and remember. I just, I just don't know. But 9 times out of 10, you know, especially in science fiction when when they do these things where they take an actor and then slather all kinds of makeup on them to make them look like they're supposed to be really, really old. It just looks like crap. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's only a couple that have ever worked for me ever, and they usually involve um, DeForest Kelly. You know, Dustin and Hoffman old... and Little Big Man. I don't think if I've you've ever seen. seen... No. Oh, wonderful movie! You would love it. It's it, really? you would love it. Yeah, it's a western. I, I might, I might actually. I like him, believe it or not. I didn't used to when I was a kid, but you know what won me over with him was uh, his portrayal of Captain Hook in Hook. I thought he was mm. just great in that role. No, he's one of those actors that really he's he's iconic, but he he not as much anymore, you know. Now that he's yeah. old, he's in Nicholson mode where he's playing the same sort of loud character all the time, but back right. in his heyday, he would drop into and and little big man, he plays his character from like, you know, 12 years old to, you know, he's telling the guy that he's t- he's telling stories, he's supposed to be like 150 years old old you know hmm. old guy you know so he's just withered and a withered husk like oh, I'll tell you a story and it's awesome 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 movie huh, unlike this out. episode <laughs> I've got I've got more notes than you this time wow yeah nothing <laughs> um um nice pike mobile um, although it's for some reason it's bigger than Pike's Pike Mobile, so I don't know how that goes in the future. Why he? You well, don't know. you remember in Star Trek? In the future, everything gets bigger. So the further we I go guess. into the future, things are going to be freaking ginormous, clunkier. Yeah, it's just like I'm sick of hi- holding these little tiny phones, man. Give this thing something I can hold on to. Make it like a one of those old school erasers or something. Do you know uh, what find that out... chair reminds me of, though? Did you ever see the 90s uh, X-Men animated series? Yes. And Professor Xavier had a floaty yeah. chair. That's what yeah. it reminded me of. Yeah, Yeah. you're right. You're right. Um, we find out once again that Troy is completely useless. And this <laughs> one, she's doubly useless. She just basically... Um, she basically just sort of says the same things that Admiral Admiral Jameson says something, and then she goes, "You know, you could be right." And it's just like, "Yeah, thank you, Counselor." You're... There's then one do- part in that where where he's speaking, and they shoot across his face to catch Troy's reaction, and she sits there like she smells a fart the whole time, giving him the evil eye. And I kept thinking that was going somewhere where she was going to pull. Picard aside and say, I sense something, something from Admiral James. Yes. And she never does. So, like, what the, yeah, what the she's hell useless. is the point? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, she is. And there's one point where Picard, um, I can't remember what the, the, the line of dialogue was, but he, he's talking to Beverly Crusher and uh, he comp- he's like, that sounds like something, you know, Troy would say. And Crusher looks at him like, fuck you, <laughs> compare me to her. She gives him this look of just like, wow, what the fuck are you, you know, like she's truly insulted to be, 
you know, to be compared to to um to Counselor Troy, which I found hilarious, but it was just sort of just like that last one, it was like something that went nowhere and came out of no, you know, it was just sort of there and dropped onto the ground and wiggled for a couple seconds and then died. Well, you know, of um, course she would be she would be insulted by that because it's that moment in the ultimate computer where that guy calls over to the Enterprise and calls Kirk Captain Dunsell, remember? And he gets pissed and walks off the bridge. <laughs> it's the same thing. You've just called the doctor completely useless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you see, I don't know. I thought we were the only ones who would, you know, the viewer were the only ones who really notice it. I think, like, it was like almost like her character they had an idea for her character and the writers never got it right. They just made, let's have her say some sort of weird astrology, touchy feely thing that makes no sense. Sort of like the blurbs at the beginning of the clone Ward episodes, you know, she'll just say something off a fortune cookie every time, <laughs> you know, instead of, I think he, what they pictured her to be was like in Dune, they had the, you know, they had the psychic women that they would take on, you know, when they were doing negotiations who would sit in another room and, psychically basically rape the other people and go, you know, they're planning on screwing you over, you know. We just psychically went through their mind to figure out what was going on. That's what I thought she was supposed to be, sort of the person there who could, you know, pick up on things on a different level. And what she turns out to be is a sort of a half-assed psychiatrist, you know, spouting pop psychology shit. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I thought this was just sort of like, Workhorse Star Trek. That's the nicest thing I can say about it. It's just sort of a sci scientific sci-fi with an idea behind it. It's just not that exciting of an idea. You know, the whole vendetta between these two people. And, you know, I don't know. You know, I think more, I think like Picard should have been a little more, you know, pissed off at, at, uh, at Jameson you know, when he realized that millions of people have died because of this jackass, you know, this uh, it turns out Jameson's a total jackass. Well, there's and then two. when they go down to the planet and they show the pictures, like this guy's almost convinced by them showing three pictures of him. Look at him de-aging and it's like, oh, it is him. Right. Well, what the fuck, man? We could do better than that with Photoshop <laughs> yeah, these no, days. I knew you, you know? were going to say that too. You're right. You're absolutely right. I, there's like two, it. to me, there's two plot holes in this that you could drive the friggin' Enterprise through in this. All right, the first one being, why in the hell did Karnas wait 45 goddamn uh, years to, to try to get back at at uh, Jameson? I mean, that's a, I yeah. mean, that's if a you want time to hold a grudge and, and to, I mean, well, the kind of people like this that are like revenge and, you know, revenge and honor and, you know, I want revenge for this. Yeah, exactly. Why would they want to take their revenge out on an old, almost dead man? Right. And he and he seemed kind of surprised that he was even alive. You know, he was just like, oh, you're alive, you know. Right. It's and just it, like, it, yeah. And it's not like he had he had come up with some incredibly intricate, clever James Bond villain scheme to draw Jameson back. He used the same goddamn tactic he did the first time. You know, he he 
kidnapped a bunch of Federation people, held them hostage, and demanded that Jameson be the one to come and deal with the situation. He could have done that at any time in the last 45 years. But he waits until he's an old fart so that they could put this just completely insipid story in there about him de-aging. I mean, ultimately, that is... It makes no that's, sense. That's the point. twist in this one that yeah, makes it an int- yeah, a quote-unquote interesting story. It's but real maybe, stu- maybe he was doing it now that the war was over and that he's won or whatever. You know, now that there's finally not fighting there, then now he's going to take his. Uh, uh, you know, like that he was perhaps busy, too busy fighting the wars to exact his revenge or whatever. But that's, I don't know. Yeah, it's just. It's just lazy writing. Actually, I just thought of another is. huge loophole. Not, you know, I said that there were two, but I just not, not you just put me on to another one. Ooh. Is the there no test. oversight anywhere in the Federation? I mean, that this guy could arm both sides and, and right. basically escalate this planetary conflict to the point where it lasts for over 40 years and nobody notices this? Well, I thought it was a dirty little secret, but yeah, how do you keep that? How do you keep the secret that they've got Federation weapons, you know, all of a sudden on that planet? Yeah. Right. I mean, I can understand that in Kirk's time, I guess, where things were a little more frontier days, but come on, by this point, you know, we see that there's a lot more bureaucracy in Starfleet than in Kirk's day, a lot more oversight and bean counters and stuff so that just doesn't quite ring true to me at all um shit now i'm trying to remember what my other big point oh i know remember what it was how many times how many friggin times have we seen in star trek where a commander be it you know one of the ones we know like kirk or picard or more often It'll be some guest star of the week commander, you know, some crazy Commodore or crazy Admiral or something comes onto the ship and, you know, they start to do something wonky and somebody like Spock or Dr. McCoy wants to throw the regulation book at him. Well, we even saw it in the new Star Trek movie, you know, the part where where old Spock convinced young Kirk that he could, you know, dethrone Spock by proving that he was morally comp or what was it emotionally compromised. Yes. So this old fart is taking a, a, you know, an illegal some substance to de-age himself. It's having all kinds of crazy biological effects on him as Dr. Uh, uh, what's her name? Crusher can prove with all her, her instruments. He's obviously not he's in, admitted to it. Yeah, he's not in a good frame of mind. I mean, this all of this stuff added together is not grounds enough for for Picard to go, "You know what? I'm relieving you. You're not fit to command my ship." Yet everybody just they seem so in awe of his admiral stripes or whatever that that they just continue to go along with the gag. You know, there comes a point in this episode where I was just like my credibility was stretched beyond the Oh, break- Kirk wouldn't Kirk wouldn't have let these shenanigans go on in, in his ship. <laughs> right. This guy hanging, you know, uh, you know, the whole scene where he's just like, where he's, you know, takes the con and he's just like, I'm just borrowing it and I'll give you back. Kirk would be like, oh, fuck, no, you aren't. <laughs> well, they, they even did that to Kirk in that episode where Kirk was aging, remember? It got to a point where, where whoever that asshole bureaucrat guy was, 
Well, that's Finally the thing pressured is pressured Spock into the uh, into relieving Kirk because they didn't think that he had the facilities anymore to to be the captain. Well, you know, that was a it, big point plot point of that episode well the same thing could apply to this episode here that this old far admiral is doing all this crazy weird stuff to himself and is obviously not in his right frame of mind yet nobody presses that point it's made clear in both star treks that the medical that the head that the head doctor has the authority to basically take anybody out who's not who they who they have good reason you know obviously they better be damn sure but in this case yeah it's you know picard should have gone to dr crusher and said is this guy fit to you know you know because she could she could go over picard's head and she could say no no don't let this guy do anything he's about to keel over any second you know i mean just the fact psychologically that somebody's gonna keel over any second is uh it, it, I would think would would get them, uh, you know, thrown off because that that's a psychological, you know, I mean, how, right. I mean, any situation you would be in would be different if you knew that it, that like you know pretty soon you're just gonna croak over, you know, so <laughs> yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I, I I wish that we'd had uh, I wish that we'd had better to to give the audience this time. Around. Well, you, you've got your book ahead. What's coming? What's coming next time? Do, do you remember the title here. of the next one in the? What I really need to do is consult. Maybe that DVD, one will be better. The DVDs to know exactly which one is coming up next. But just going by the book here, let me see. It looks like. It looks like the next one is going to be when the bow breaks, which honestly I can't remember what the I hell can't this remember what about. goes on in that one either. All right, well, I think it's about time to fire up the old Star Trek computer. Cool. Hang on. Let me uh. Let me get... All right. <laughs> Oh, we got the new computer now. I've got a yeah. clunky old piece of shit computer anymore. It is the clunky old piece of shit computer. And this is the fucked up thing about it is I've I just it's the old computer with a new op, with the with a next generation operating system in it, which it does not like at all. Alright. Alright, so now I can actually take this arm part here and shake it. And it comes up, ooh, interesting number, number 66, 66 order 66 is, it's late, it's late in the game, so this could be, this could be some cheese. <laughs> Wink of an eye. Oh. I think this is the one where uh, everybody sped up really fast. Yes, this I... one freaked me out as a kid. I think that might I could be wrong, but I think this is also the one where you know, it pretty much tells us after a commercial break that Kirk just banged this chick cuz she's like 
fixing her hair and he's pulling on his boots. Putting his boots on. Yeah, I believe. I'm yes. pretty sure that's the episode. But beyond that, I don't really remember a hell of a lot. In the about wink it. of an eye, Kirk was done. <laughs> <laughs> So there we go. All right. We will be back next month with some more and better Star Trek. (laughs) We hope. (laughs) We hope. Uh, With Wink of the Eye and DC Star Trek number 21, obviously. And uh, until then, whatever, man. We'll see you later. (laughs) Listen to our other shows and there won't be any gap in between. That's what you should do. You bastards. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener, it's that easy and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Let's all square dance. Places all. Bow to your corner. Bow to your own. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E F-R-E-A-K-S Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Whop him low and whop him high, stick your finger in his eye, pretty little ring, pretty little sound, bang your heads against the ground. Promenade like a bride and groom Open up the door and step right in Close the door and then do a spin Whirl, whirl, twist and twirl Jump all around like a flying squirrel Now don't you cuss and don't you swear Just come right out and form a square Now right hand over left hand under Both join hands and run like thunder Over the hill and over the dale Duck your head and lift your tail don't you stray and don't you roam Turn around and promenade home Corn in the crib and wait in the sack Turn your partner, promenade back
your home, bow to your partner, bow to the gent across the hall, <coughs> and that is all. Thank you.